So if you're a guest or you're visiting this morning, we're in a series on the book of Psalms. It's the summer in the Psalms. We've done it for a number of years. And we're in a bundle of Psalms called the Hallel Songs. They're categorized from 112 to 118. And this series will go on through and including Labor Day. They're called Hallel Songs because they're focused on the Passover, and it's what the people of God would sing during what we're going to do today is Psalm 115. And it's a, it's a really interesting psalm, and it talks about idols. Now, one of the other Christian reformers, we know about Martin Luther as a Lutheran church, but one of the other... Christian reformers was a guy by the name of John Calvin, and this is what he said about idols, which is plopped right in the middle of the psalm that we're going to take a look at. He said this, Surely as waters boil up from a vat, so does an immense crowd of, crowd of gods flow forth from the human mind. While each one, in wandering about with too much license, wrongly invents this or that about God himself, man's nature, so to speak, is a, listen, a perpetual factory of idols. That, that term has caught on. And the term is this, the human heart is a factory of idols, no matter if you're 6, 60, or 600. So here's a few things before we read God's Word. Just a few things that you need to keep in mind. One of the lenses to read God's Word is something called law gospel. And, and you find it in this psalm. You don't have to go looking and you don't have to force feed it. In fact, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can take a look at Psalm 115 and then just draw a line, draw a line after verse 8 that will split it in half. And the first half is, exposes our hearts. And we find out what idols are like. We find out their DNA. And, and right away, this psalm says something that it, it's not just now, but it's been forever. Listen for the warning. The second half is, is the part that makes you scratch your head and you go, really? Could that really be true? You mean God is like that? You mean he remembers and keeps his promise? Your old movie that shows a true reality. And then we'll contrast that with an 18-day medalist celebration that sings about reality. So if you have a copy of the scriptures close to you, I'm going to be reading from uh, Psalm 115, and this, this message is entitled, The Unchallengeable One That We Love. Psalm 115. Have you found a copy of the scriptures? When we get to verses 9 through, let's see, verse 12, I'm going to have you read responsively. They call this the cantor and the congregation. You see this throughout the scriptures, oftentimes in Psalms. It's a way of saying, this is true, and then the congregation says, this is true. So when those verses come up, be ready for your part, okay? Here we go, Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. 
noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Let me repeat that. Those who make them will be like them, so will all who trust in them. This is the responsive part. You read the bold. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. The Lord. He'll bless those who fear the Lord. Small and great alike. The rest of the hymn. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. It's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It's he who will extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. So praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father Almighty, you revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ, what the Bible says, full of grace and truth. We ask that you would cure us, cure us from foolish idol making, from fashioning gods out of our desire and imagination so that we can be free to worship you the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do not make you, you make us. We do not take care of you, you take care of us. We do not invent new attributes and duties for you. You creatively lead us into new rhythms of obedience and personal, real experiences of blessings that come from you. As a result, this causes us to trust and praise you and to sing what we've done just this morning. So we pray that you would receive glory, O oh God. We pray that our words would be obedient to your commands and that we would engage in acts that express and reflect the love of Christ in a broken world. We pray that you would work in our minds and cause our actions to be a reflection of the glory of God, not for our fame, but so that people would be drawn to Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to encourage you uh, to find one of these bulletins and uh, follow along and fill them out. It's a way for you to interact with the message, and I think you'll get more out of the message uh, as we follow through. And those of you who are watching online, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you've joined us. Uh, many of you... Uh, Maybe watch online who are here, and if you're watching online, I met someone over uh, a lunch, and we're so glad that you've joined us. So I want to give you a virtual hug, fist bump, whatever, and just say, um, welcome. We want to invite you to, to download the bulletin as well, too. As I mentioned before, uh, I hope that you drew that line in your Bibles between verses 8 and 9 to separate that out. And these are a couple observations, so we're just going to take a look at, 
at two and then some insights from them. The first thing that we can take a look at is the unchangeable glory, unchallengeable glory, excuse me, the unchallengeable glory of God that we see in verses one through eight. And it's asked the question in verse two and three, who is like you? The one who does whatever he pleases. Why is God's unchallengeable glory, what is that all about? Verse one states it right up front. It's because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He's given us an oath that he cannot break. And that is unique and unique to him. And, but the question that gets asked in verse 2, it, it isn't a new question. Where is your God? In fact, when Eric was just up here, our students just interacted with that question that happened in Noah's day. And for a hundred years... For a hundred years, as he built the ark, those questions were, so where's the flood? So where's the flood? So where's the flood? So where's the flood? That would get old, wouldn't it? The book of Hebrews says, summarizes Noah's faithfulness for a hundred years. It just gives it one verse, like, <clears throat> verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. He's not the only one. The person that this, I mean, these psalms are about Passover. And when Moses met God in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, you see these actions that God, he takes the initiative. He does the verbs. He makes the, he makes the first step forward. And this is what God says to Moses. Listen, to his involvement. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land full of milk and honey. And you may go, now what's the, what's the important part about that? The important part about that is the contrast for who our God is with the DNA of idols. Did you see the DNA? Did you catch the personification? Look, it's listed there, beginning in verse, verses uh, 4. These idols are silver and gold. They're made by human hands. They, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. That's not like our God. In fact, we say that Jesus is the living word. They have eyes, but cannot see. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. When you see me, you see light. They have ears but cannot hear. This is the one that just slays my heart. Have you ever been with someone before and said, Hello, are you hearing me? Do you understand? And the psalmist says, Your gods are not hearing. They are not understanding. Look what it says. They have noses but cannot smell. Our praises to him what we just sang, our prayers to him, are a sweet and beautiful incense to him. Who is like our God? They have hands, but they cannot feel. The Savior, who touches people and says, rise and walk, who, who healed people again and again and again and does today. That's not true of idols. They have feet but cannot walk. Our God is not like that. If he was like that, cut out Luke chapter 15. This idea that God runs 
to the prodigal son. They can utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. He has unchallengeable glory. Want proof? Turn to Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 37. This is a crazy, crazy story that's in the Bible. A man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who had a right to be proud because he was the owner-architect of one of the seven great wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Apparently, they were really cool. He had a crazy dream. He had a dream of a, <laughs> of a, of a tree that went wild. And in that crazy tree, that tree was chopped down. Nobody could interpret it. The astronomers, the magicians, the sorcerers, they couldn't interpret it until Daniel stepped on the scene and he said, King, that's you. If you do not bow down and worship and adore the maker of heaven and earth. He took it to heart for a year. And then he was walking on the portals. He was walking on the, the, on the, on the uh, hanging bridges. And he said in his heart a very prideful thing. And instantly he became like a wild animal. His hair grew. His fingernails grew. He ate out with the animals. Think of that. Think of having the ruler of that known world out in the back 40 acting like an animal because he was an animal. And then the Bible says this, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Lord Most High. I honored and I glorified him who lives forever and his dominion is an eternal dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing and then he drops the bomb. He does as he pleases. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, give us this warning. In fact, it's a warning to the people of God and to hearers and listeners what value is an idol carved from craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. And if you're six and your name is Avery and you ask for the new Yoda doll, what's your idol when you go through life. Idols just change. It could be approval. It could be retirement. It could be wealth. It could be a new fill-in-the-blank that will make you happy. It could be a vacation. Here's the warning. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? Let me illustrate. In 1997, the American film industry listed the top 100 films of all time. 1,500 film directors, artists listed them. Ten years later, they did the same survey. And the one in 1997 and the one in 2007 was the same, the number one film. It was this film. It was called Citizen Kane, starring Orson Welles. 
it was the story of this man who had come up, who had grown in poverty, grown up in poverty, and then over a series of decisions became a very, very, very super wealthy man. And along the way, he blew through friendships and relationships and marriages and was estranged from his kid, and he got a lot of stuff. The scene that's so powerful, and you can Google this or pull it up on YouTube, it, it's a grainy black and white, 1941, and he, he's passed away, and now the power of attorney or whatever are meeting with people, and they say, well, he died all alone, and his last words that he ever said was rosebud. And then the power of attorney goes, uh, we'll never know what that means. So they walk off, and then the next scene is this basement filled with crates of stuff, of vases and pictures and trophies and valuable, valuable stuff. And you see workmen, you see workmen throwing all that stuff into a furnace to burn it. And one of the guys says, what do we do with this? Well, you just burn it. So they're throwing all this valuable stuff constantly, constantly. And he picks up this little flexible flyer that's on the back side, says Rosebud. And he says, well, I'll just burn this. And this man, who was so wealthy, who died alone, number one film ever, according to the American Film Institute, he was longing for his childhood days when he was little. Well, then the movie pans back, it's black and white, and you hear this soundtrack. It's not like yippee-skippy, I'm going to run out and give people a, a hug. It's this heavy, heavy soundtrack. And then they pan back, and it's this massive mansion, that, a picture of this massive mansion on a hill, and this black smoke that's burring through, and that's how they end the film. And as I, I watched the film for the first time, this little voice, remembrance, came and it said this, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's your point, Pastor Kirk? Here's my point. We run to idols, but fear and trust run together. And trust is key. Someone said to me this week, they said, my trust has been broken. Who can you trust? The psalmist uses that word, trust. Trust is key. And then it uses it in the next section as well too. Trust is key. Isaiah 44, 9 says this, just a warning. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind, and they're ignorant to their own shame. Jot down Psalm 44, excuse me, Isaiah 44, as a reminder to go back and look at. But there's hope. And the second part of the psalm, the second part of the psalm, can you advance the next slide? There we go. Thank you. The second part of the psalm, you find that in, in 12 through 15. But the first part of it is, that he is trustworthy. The Lord is our help and our shield. I read the prayer from Eugene. Invent new attributes and duties for him. He creatively leads us into new rhythms of obedience and experiences of blessing. The realization evokes responses of trust and praise. He really does want to be 
our help and shield. And he cares for us. Now, I'm not talking about name it and claim it. And I'm not talking about the fact that God helps us based on commitment or having a certain... I'm talking about God helps us and he's our shield by his grace and his promise. Does he hear us all the time when we pray? There's three ways that God answers prayer. Yes, no, wait. Some people have said maybe. I have a friend of mine who, uh, who's battling cancer and he's not doing well. If you'd meet him, you would love him. He loves Jesus. He shines for Christ. He smiles a ton. And he's a Yankee fan, so I've got to kind of work through that. You know what I mean? I'm glad that Jesus still loves him. But my friend who's battling cancer, he's not doing well. In fact, it isn't looking good. And if you were to ask him, where is God? His answer to you would be this. He is right next to me. Always has been, always will be. He promised that he'd walk through me walk with me. Kevin would say, he is my help. He is my shield. And that is true for God's people. This unchangeable blessing is true. The second observation that we make in the verses 12 through 15, if you have a copy of the Bible, circle all the times you see the word blessing. It's, it's there five times. And look how it, it gets... Uh, focused. In verses 12 through 13a, you notice that he wants to bless every group. Every group. In 13b, what, 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 what I read, he wants to bless every type of person, both great and small. And then verse 14, he wants to bless every generation, your generation and the generation of your grandchildren yet to be born. What kind of God is this? Well, the kind of God that we wrestle with. There's a fascinating story in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. We see a wrestling match between a man by the name of Jacob and the angel of the Lord. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, that's okay. But just remember this. This might be the only thing you remember uh, about Jacob, which is okay. But Jacob was kind of a jerk. He cheated his brother out of a blessing that was supposed to be his. And then he fled. Well, that jerk gene kind of followed him. And later in his life, he was going to be reunited with his brother Esau. But before he reunited with his brother and this massive dysfunction that they hadn't seen each other, the night before, he wrestled with an angel of the Lord. Some theologians call that the pre-incarnate Christ. Who was it? That's how I tend to bend. And they wrestled all night wrestled. Wrestling is not like ping pong where you don't have interaction. Wrestling is your, you can smell their breath. They wrestled all night. Can you think of the B.O.? You think their hair was wet? You think their muscles ached? You think they had dust on them and dirt on them? And now daylight is coming and the angel of the Lord says, you cannot see my face. Let me go. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. Wow. And so he, the angel of the Lord says, you will now be called Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God. 
God blesses you, not because you deserve it, but he blesses you because of his grace. Your new name is forgiven. Your new name is child of God. Your new name is one who's been adopted into the kingdom of God. That's your new name, friend. What do they call it? Good news. Wow. I don't want to assume that everyone that hears my voice and that is in this room, that's watching online, knows Christ. I don't want to assume that. If you don't know Jesus and you're saying, I'd like to explore more, I want to give you a gift. It's at the Welcome Center where you picked up some coffee. It's a gift that came from an organization called the Gideons. It's called the Life Book. It's written for students. It's fantastic. Read the story of the book of Mark and you will see the immediate power of what Christ does and he changes people's lives. Pick up one of those. The psalm ends in a way that is a little bit of a shock and it ends kind of with a second warning as well too. It gives a concluding hope when we read the verses 16 through 18. The voices of praise will last forever, and it repeats verse 3. You'll see a repetition of verse 3, and if you have your Bibles, you can just draw a line from, what is it? I think it's verse 16 to verse 3. But here's what's happened. The compass has changed. Now what was God is now given to his children. It's given to you and I. And we will praise him forevermore. And here's the second warning. Those who live, who serve the living God, will live forever. Not so with those who do not. The reality of hell is right in this scripture. You see, as a child of God, you go from death to death to death to life. Let me explain. As a child of God, we have death to sin, for the wages of sin is death. And then we do take our last breath. Is appointed for a man or a woman to die once, and then comes a judgment. But death has been defeated. We bank everything. We put all our chips on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that says that the tomb is empty. And because of he conquered death, we now live. The second warning is some won't live forever. Take note. So as we do, as followers of Christ, we always ask, we try to ask questions so we don't just listen. So the first question that I want to ask as you eagerly respond to God's word, here it is. How can you protect your heart from running after idols? If, if, we're, if, if it's just natural, we have this idol factory that John Calvin talks about. How do you protect that? One of the best ways you protect that is you call it what you want. You can call it devotions. You can call it quiet time. You can call it time in the Word. It doesn't, that's a discipline that will check you and will expose your heart to be in God's Word yourself. In other words, this isn't your only spiritual meal during the week. You're feeding yourself. And as you spend time in God's Word and the quietness of God's Word and as His Holy Spirit works in your life, there's a check, and he does that, what? As your helper. Second question. What would the warning in verse 8 look like 
in the mirror of your home. What do I mean by that? Well, it says in uh, verse 8 that we become like our idols. If you were to stand, we have a bathroom mirror like many of you do, but if that bathroom mirror reflected the idol reflector, what would that be? You might say, there's no way I'm telling you. I'm not going to say anything. But when you take the body and blood of Christ here in just a little bit, and you confess your sins, confess your idol-making sins to the one who can break those sins. Finally, this. Who can you pray and fast for this week? To see the unchallengeable and unchangeable one. Who can you pray for? Who can you lift up and say, God, work in their life? All right. You looked at Citizen Kane and you went, no. Let me tell you the story of one. The one for 18 days that talked about true reality. Uh, many of you uh, watched a lot of the Olympics, like my family and I did, and uh, found out about this story this week. The country of Fiji had only won one gold medal until this year at the Olympics in Tokyo. One gold medal. They ended up winning the rugby gold medal this year in Tokyo. And when they won the rugby gold medal, they sang. Sang when they, after they just won and sang when they were on the podium stand. They sang as a team. You know what they sang? They sang this reality. This is what they sang for the whole world to see 18 days ago. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, they sang. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of the Lord, we have overcome. That's some good, solid, true reality. Their song is your song, daughter of Christ. Their song is what's true, son of the Most High. Their song is your song.